Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning, church, and man, what an awesome time of worship. And I'm thankful to be able to get to share with you a word that the Lord has been speaking to me. And it's cool how God works. The pastor's been going through a series on joy in Philippians for most of you who've, who've been present and been coming. And it's been awesome. And just a time when there was a lot going on and some exciting stuff in his daughter's lives, and he just needed a break. God, the Holy Spirit was bubbling up a word in my heart. And it's cool how God does that. It's not by coincidence. And just so happens that what God was bubbling up in my heart this past month has been on worship. And so that's just cool how this is the day that the, the kids are leading us in a song. How never let the righteous fail, fail. We can cast our cares upon him. And so this morning, I can't, I can't promise you're going to learn something better than what you just learned. And so, but with that, I'm going to try. It's been an exciting time in my life. I, I just turned 30. You know, we celebrate our first year of marriage, just turned 30. And now, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I joke with my friends, all my, you know, especially younger friends and people Cynthia's age, like, oh, I'm, I'm the old man in the group. And I'm like, hey, LeBron's 38, still getting triple doubles. I, hadn't hit, I have not even hit my athletic prime yet. I'm, st- I'm still climbing. Now, my, my knees are starting to ache. I'm like, man, this is what Pastor Chris always felt like. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's like a lot of our church. I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, no, but seriously, guys, um, I've been so blessed. And I know I think someone, I think it was Josh that mentioned this last week, but all the, all the gifts that came in for, past the, for the pastoral staff and pastor appreciations, um, yeah, this past month in October. And we have just been beyond blessed. And I see Jesus the most clearly, like beyond Sundays, beyond Wednesdays with youth, beyond the, the morning Bible studies and accountability groups. I feel and experience God, I think, the most clearly in my life when there's intentional acts of love just between me and someone else. And so it just reminds me that out of the overflow of our heart, I think um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ's love compels us. We have such a loving church, and I want to encourage us to keep being like that because, man, that's when I really see Jesus, when we love each other. But with all that being said, I want to dive in this morning to the heart of worship. Cynthia and I got to go to Brazil where we tried to FaceTime. I know there were some technical difficulties with Danilo and Catherine Miranda, some, some dear, beloved missionaries of ours through IMB who are in Brazil and while we were in Brazil, on the way back, on the way there really, but especially on the way back, there was this song I couldn't let go of my head or couldn't let out of my head. And I grew up on it and I remember it the first time, I believe it was, I think it was my very first experience going to this youth group. And, and don't judge me, it was a Methodist youth group. <laughs> I know that can be controversial right now, but it was a Methodist youth group. I went to First Baptist on Sunday mornings and, and met the church Sunday night because I had a crush on this girl. Um, I'm not going to say her name because I've learned that students then repeat that name every week. And so I'm not going to say her name. But I had a crush on this girl, but praise the Lord for, for that because through that I eventually found a relationship, or I found, Jesus found me. Through that I, I, I had a relationship with Jesus years later. But I remember this song, and I think it was by uh, Matt Redman. I'm tempted to sing it, but. <laughs> I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that song, just, I couldn't let go of it. I'm like watching movies on the plane, like hardcore action movies, and I'm, I'm singing this, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, what, what is this? 
And as we're flying back and I just wrote in my journal, God, what does it mean to have a heart of worship? What does that mean? And I've grown up in church and I've had awesome parents and an awesome sister that I think have displayed it at times and pointed me to what the, what the truth says. And we're going to get into scripture in just a second. We're going to get into some, some other scriptures I have written down of when you, when you Google search verses on worship, a lot comes up. But what is the heart of it? And I know there's a lot of examples in, in John, I believe, chapter 4. He's talking to the woman by the well and he says there will be a time when true worshipers, God's looking for true worshipers that worship in what? In spirit and in truth. When doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, I think it's verse 28, whenever Jesus reveals himself to Thomas after he didn't believe the other eyewitness accounts, and he's like, I won't believe it until I see him. And Jesus says, here, Thomas, look at my hands, touch him. And all Thomas can reply is, my Lord and my God. He's taken aback. We see the picture in Revelations 4 of the throne room. I think it's Revelations 4 and 5 or 4 or 5, one of the two. And this picture of these elders bowing down, saying forevermore they're going to just be praising. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like sometimes when I look at these pictures, to be honest, it feels so far-fetched from where my heart's at. I can't really relate. Like I can't understand that. Like thinking of that picture of the throne room, I can – like I – I, I don't understand that. I don't connect with that so much sometimes that I then rationalize worship down and simplify it as to something it's not because I personally can't connect and understand. I hope that makes sense. And so with that, I want to read our, our scripture for the day. I know there's a lot you can choose from when it comes to worship, but it just comes from Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to read the first eight verses in Isaiah Starting in verse 1, I'll give you a second. Open your Bibles. I was going to use the punchline, but I, I, <laughs> I'll give it a break this one time. Next time I'm coming back to it. In the year, starting in verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Amen. I'm going to pray over that just really quick. Father, thank you for your word. The same way that Isaiah was, saw a vision of your throne room, Jesus, and how he responded in worship. Father, let us see a vision of your throne room this morning, Father. Let us go into your throne room with the access you have granted us through Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And so you see that a couple things happened there in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw a vision of the throne room, and he explains it. 
And you see his response. He doesn't say, oh, this is awesome. He doesn't say, amen, I agree with this. Yes, this is exactly how I pictured God. He doesn't say, I'm not feeling it. I was actually really hungry. Could this vision come back later? Or I had a lot of plans. He is paralyzed. I believe he's paralyzed by God's holiness. And all he can say is, woe is me, I am undone. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. In 2021 vernacular, I can't even speak, I'm not worthy. And you see that his response, I believe, is one of worship where he's just in the presence of something that is so, of someone, of God that is so awesome. I can't even say anything. I don't even deserve to speak. I'm undone and I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And then you see what happens when the, the angel touches um, his tongue and then all of a sudden this boldness and confidence comes because he was clean by what God did, not, not by his own merit. And so with this passage, I want to start by just going back, and I do this with students. It's good that I, I, we talk with students because it, it, it keeps me going back to the basics, back to the foundations. What is worship? The definition of worship comes from an old Saxon word that I did not look up the pronunciation of, but I'm going to try it. Worth worth Skype, right? Do we have, maybe not, but Worth Skype, something like that, W-E-R-T-H-S-C-I-P-E, that turned into a word called worth-ship, which now we have our modern word worship. And all it means is, you've probably heard this before, but what that means is to ascribe worth to something or someone, to ascribe value to something or someone. I love how Whitney in his book on spiritual discipline says this, worshiping is simple. It is focusing on and responding to God. You see that although we might have known this is what the definition of worship is or something like this, how does that connect with us? Very simply, when we look at Scripture, I understand that we were created to worship. Why does worship resonate? Why do songs resonate? And it's more than songs, but why do things like this resonate? Why is there this sense of awe and there's this sense of under? And we like to look at beautiful things, right? We like to look at things that are enjoyable, that are pleasurable, things that are worth chasing, worth admiring. We love, I love a good underdog story. Movies like, I remember, remember the Titans and, and, and all these sports movies and underdog. Man, I want to say Hoosiers. There's a lot of other, I'm trying to, I'm trying to connect with people here, right? <laughs> There's a lot of awesome sports movies and things where you want to see the underdog win. Rudy, that's what I should have said, Rudy. See the underdog win. Like there's things like, there's something in us we want to cheer. We want to get excited for something that's worth getting excited about. Where did that come from? I don't believe that came from our, our broken sinful nature. We'll get with that in a second. But I believe in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam, he created man. And then it, later on, shortly after he created Eve, there was this harmony, there was this perfect union, this relationship without sin where they were living in a constant state of worship, in a constant state of obedience, in a constant state of surrendered harmony with the Lord. And so why, why is worship a big deal? Why am I talking about this morning? Because we were created for it. You see that from the beginning? You see that in the end? Where whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, on this earth, we know at the end of the day, Revelation says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess before the Lord that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're all going to worship Christ at some point. 
It's just a matter of are you going to do it while you're on this earth or is it going to be after? We're created for it. I love how Isaiah says in chapter 43, verse 21, the people whom I'm formed for myself that they might declare my praise. And church family, this is just the point I'm trying to make. I have been struggling with this concept of worship, and I'll tell you more probably in a minute, but I've been struggling with it. And I was like, why is this so foundational? Why is this such a heartthrob for me? And God's saying, Ethan, it's because that's the whole reason I created you. You were created to worship. God doesn't need Ethan to do anything. Before, I even, before, I, before I'm compelled to go out of that place, before I'm compelled to be a worshiper that's living and loving others, I'm just called to sit at his feet and worship. Like the story of Mary and Martha, one chose to serve and Jesus says, you've chosen the better thing. She's chosen the better thing. Just at his feet. And God has been getting me back to the place of worship because I believe that's where it all starts. That's where it all started. And this is a cool thing because when I was younger, I had a very improper view of worship. I almost pictured worship as there's a master and there's a slave and they're just bowed down on their knees. Yes, master, whatever you say. That's not worship. That's just, that's just cold submission. It was explained to me once and, and I love it, but you know, when, when I met Cynthia, it was the best swipe ride I ever had. <laughs> Students will appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I used to be insecure about that. We made a line, but whatever, it is what it is. So, <laughs> but when we hung out, and I saw how beautiful she was physically, but beyond that, I saw how, how I saw Jesus in her heart. There was just a few moments on our first date where, and this isn't me trying to be romantic and fluffy, but I genuinely was captivated. And there was this moment for a second where I was worshiping her. I was ascribing to her because I saw Jesus in her. And there was just this beauty, this moment where I wasn't a slave submitting, but I was willing to submit because I saw the value in what was right in front of me. And we just had this moment to where I believe to her glory, there was worship where as I was satisfied, I love how John Piper says, um, what is it? God is, most, God is most satisfied with us and we're the most delighted in him, I believe is what he says. And so this, this idea of worship, God had to refine in me. It's not this, this cold-hearted submission with chains. It's this overwhelming love of how awesome this person is or God is right in front of me that I'm just captivated and like Isaiah, all we can cry out is holy, holy, holy. I can't even, I don't even deserve to call you holy. I'm so unclean. That's the idea. That's the vision of worship that God has been beating over my head. And I love how if, if, everyone, anyone, if anyone ever wants to read any more on worship, Paul David Tripp and John Piper both go deep into worship. And I love um, a quote by Paul David Tripp, he says, he says this about human nature. The Bible says that my real problem is not psychological, which is low self-esteem or unmet needs, social, which is bad relationships and influences, historical, our past, or physiological, our body. They are significant influences, but my real problem is spiritual. I have replaced Christ with something else. And as a consequence, my heart is hopeless and powerless. Its responses reflect its bondage to whatever it is serving instead of Christ. You see, 
at the very beginning, how did, how did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? By taking God off his throne and saying, you can be like God. Essentially, why worship him? Worship yourself. You don't need him. From the root, the sin problem is a worship problem. Sin is misplaced worship. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, every man, every woman worships something or someone. Whether it's yourself, whether it's a different ideology, whether it's the, a, a government, a political party, whether it's the greater good, which is still ourselves and humanity, whether it's another God. I've, I've been to over, I think it's 20 countries now. Brazil made 20. And I, every country has different religions, different practices, but they all come out of this longing to worship something greater than themselves. China was the only one where there's just a heavy atheistic, just spiritual demonic warfare there, but they still worship. They worship the communist government. And so just in general, as, as I've traveled since other cultures, every man, every woman worships something or someone. Why? Because we were created to worship. But our problems deviate. All the branches of sin come from the root of misplaced worship. And I love uh, David Tripp's, uh, Paul David Tripp's quote on that. But let's go to Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures, uh, sorry, pleasures that wage war in your members? Other versions say passions or desires. So what's the source of all the sin, all the quarrels among you? Is it not because of your misplaced desires? Is it not because of your misplaced passions and pleasures? It's because we are worshiping something. We are chasing something else that's not Jesus. And that's sinful and it leads to more sinfulness. And so we see that this, this just blew my mind because I've never thought of worship as this foundational. I've never thought of worship as the problem of sin. I've never thought of, man, what it, what it really means when we take Jesus off the throne. Now, I want to make this real to us because misplaced worship, it took me a while to understand this. Because it's easy for me to point the finger at Scripture or at people's quotes and say, yeah, I agree with that. But it's hard for me to hold the mirror in front of my own eyes and my own heart and investigate my own heart and say, hey, what else am I worshiping? Because at first I say, well, no, no, I only worship Jesus. I only sing praises to Jesus. When I'm reading my Bible, it's to connect with Jesus, not to get like fluffy with head knowledge. Like I, I'm good. I'm not worshiping that. Like it's hard to see sometimes. When I remember being in India and other countries as well, but especially India, it's easy to see what they worship. It's easy to see idolatry because there's shrines there's like 10 shrines on every street. They have over, over a million gods that pretty much, if there's some higher power, if they need water, there's a water god. With sickness and health, there's a health god. And they make a statue and they burn incense. And so in that culture, it broke my heart because I was like, Lord, they worship. They, it's like Paul went to, uh, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was, uh, what would you say? Ephesians? I don't know. Ephesus? Athens. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Paul went to Athens and said, hey, you're worshiping all these other gods. I see that you're spiritual, but, but then you have a, a, a tomb for an unknown not, un, unknown God, right? I think it's Acts 27-ish, right? And, and they go in there and he says, I'll show you who this is. And it's like, India, I wanted to tell them that there's all these other idols. I'll show you the real God. And I'm like, God, how can they be so blind? They're made of wood and stone. How could you actually worship this? And then the Holy Spirit did a work on me. Hey, Ethan, just because you can physically see with your own eyes their idols 
Don't think you don't have just, that, just as many idols in your own heart that you can't see. Because it was a picture, I could touch it. It was obvious. But for me, it's a little more subtle. The enemy is a little more tricky. And we could go through a thing of pictures of, of what all we worship. But I'm going to be honest, guys. It's like clockwork. Every September, every October, I feel like I hit a spiritual slump. And I don't think it's coincidence that I love football and I love basketball. And that's when both of them are going. And, 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 and go Braves. They won the World Series, right? Like, that's awesome. Like, we, like, I know everybody's afraid to clap. Like, oh, am I worshiping this? Am I not worshiping this? Where's it going? <laughs> but I noticed that, that my birthday comes around and it gets colder. You get invited to more things and more friends hanging out. It's so easy. Even if there's not obvious sin of our lives, there is. I mean, that's, that's, I hope it's more obvious that it's, it's not the Lord. Because anytime we sin, we're saying, I trust this thing that God's telling me not to do is going to satisfy me more than Jesus. I trust this thing is right or is good or is pleasing to me more so than obedience and putting Jesus on the throne. So any sin in our lives that the Holy Spirit is dealing with, with, with on our hearts today, I pray that we can see that with our spiritual eyes and understand sinning is taking Jesus off the throne and putting whatever it is on the throne and saying, I'm trusting that. That's misplaced worship. Now, for, for all of us, there's times that I think we worship things that might not be clear-cut in the Bible as sin. I know, for example, um, in my life, I love having fun. I love getting to play basketball. I love getting to play sports. I love getting to work out. Man, I love just running kids and students and FIFA and Madden. And I grew up during the millennials with video games. Man, I, I love it. It's fun. And I'll talk trash while I'm doing it. <laughs> and, and, and I grew up, you know, like I, just hanging out and friends were over all the time. And I was always at their house. And I have friends in my life now that I look forward to Friday nights and Saturdays. And we're all hanging out and getting together and eating and, and going to a game or watching a movie or whatever it is. And I love it. And God gives us rest. And God gives us things to enjoy. And the ecclesi- in the, earlier in the year or last year, the Ecclesiastic series, Ecclesiastes series, we learned the wisdom of enjoying life. And how God gives us this time to enjoy him and enjoy the blessings. But I'm going to be honest, church. It only takes a couple days for me to get out of a place of really diving into God's word. Of really diving in along with him in prayer. Before I begin to love God. But also I love a lot of other things too. I quickly love comfort. I quickly love pleasure. So much so that... It feels like each day, Jesus owns a permanent throne in my heart, but there's about 10 to 15 other thrones that are are vying for that number one spot each day. And it's like it's just playing a game of roulette, hoping that if I I slow down long enough, if I have a, a good enough quiet time where I'm focused, if I journal, if I pray, that he'll take number one that day. And, and, I, and I'm crushed because in Brazil, I remember just, I love going out of the country because it's a way to, to get this culture shock and, the, and just to see sometimes, just to see something different than what we're always used to. It's good to get different perspectives to help grow sometimes, especially when I was in a rut. And I love seeing some people that it wasn't just Jesus was their everything, that they were just really good at choosing him out of the other 10 options they had every day. They're really good at just being disciplined. And in his word, man, we met people, Jesus was their only thing. All they had was Jesus. 
And, and we, we met, and I, I shared this with the staff, but it was, I was encouraged. We, we met their, their church there and the pastor there, and there was just some, just some members of that church in the community. They had a vision. The pastor has to travel there every week in order to preach. He has to stay overnight, and he just sleeps in the chairs. And they had a vision to extend it and build like a, kind of like a little bunk in a kitchen area in a bathroom. And so he just had all this wood. He went and asked people in the community, hey, church members, I'm doing this. Um, can you donate whatever materials you have? Let's, let's extend this, this building and make it pretty much like a cot for him. And it's cool because as Danilo and I were talking back and forth, he was translating from Portuguese to, to English. I was giving my Portuguese a break. <laughs> um, bad joke, sorry. So as he was, <laughs> as he was doing that, he said, hey, ask him about his faith. Ask him about where he's getting the materials from. And he said, I don't know, but God told me to do this and I know he'll provide. And so as he kept building, the next step, the next step of the project, somebody else would donate wood. Somebody else would donate bricks. Somebody else would donate these, these supplies. And he just had a faith where, man, his only concern, his only worship was on Jesus. It was such a joy and so simple. And that just, that was one of many things that shook me of, of, of just being reminded of what it's like when Jesus is our only thing, not just I'm trying to make Jesus my main thing today. Um, let me share this because I think this is one of the biggest kickers. This has been one of the biggest catalysts these past four weeks. As we've been going through uh, with the student ministry on Wednesday nights, it's been awesome with the students. And we've been going through this heart of worship series. What does it mean to have a heart of worship? What does that look like? And one of the biggest verses I think that has just hit me is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And I'll read it. Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's so easy. I'll go back. Let me rephrase that. I can't remember the last time I was so captivated in worship and loving Jesus that everything else in my life was just background and I didn't care. Church, I confess that. I've been in love with being comfortable. I read that verse and I realized I cannot relate. And I'm struck by that. And I just need a work of the Holy Spirit to come in just so I could get a glimpse, just so I could get in the throne room for a second and be undone by his love, undone by his holiness and reminded that I am so unclean, I am so dirty, I am so, I'm so unworthy and this is the ultimate satisfaction and he is so good. I'm just mesmerized. And my response is it only can be worship. And when we've gone to the throne room in the Holy of Holies, that's just what happens. And it's like I taste of the Lord and I remember how tasteless everything else is. It's so easy for me to look forward to date night with Cynthia and us watching movies and hanging out with friends and, and playing sports and doing this. And, it's so, and so quickly I go from I'm just excited about Christ that nothing else matters to, well, I love Jesus, but I, but I love all these other things too, Lord. I bring, I bring my other 10 chairs, my other 10 thrones in the throne room with me trying to hold on to all this other satisfaction, but never really being in a place where I'm in his presence and it's just us. I, there's a book by John Piper, I think it's called God is the Gospel, something like that. And he makes a really interesting parallel. He says, what if we get to heaven 
and everything you ever wanted heaven to be, that's exactly how it was for you. The best foods, your glorified spiritual bodies, and whatever you wanted it to look like, all the delights, all the pleasures, all the comfort, all the everything, immortality, no strife, no divisions, no sin. What if, it was, what if that was heaven except Jesus was not there? Would you still want to go? In church for months, my answer would be, yeah. Because I care more about these things. I'm worshiping him as a side effect of all these other things. Because all day I'm, I'm singing songs. Guys, I'm, I, we can be really good, if you grow up in church, at singing songs, at coming in on Sunday morning and singing songs, but not having a heart that's transformed. I can get really good at talking about how much I love and praise and, and craze over Jesus. But my life's not one of active, but of radical obedience, where he's the only priority in my life. When... When I read this verse and I read that quote, I am just undone because I feel so distant from what that feels like. And I'm just asking, Lord, can, can we as a church, can, can, and I'm talking to me, but I'm just, God's sharing this, I believe. He's teaching me to share with everyone. Can we get back to a place like Paul where we are so excited about Jesus? We are so focused. We are so undone like Isaiah was in the throne room in the presence of God that literally nothing else matters. I know we've got, we've got spouses here, we've got families, you've got kids here, you got, I know there's other things that are worldly attachments and responsibilities, but we can be at a place where we're overflowing, a place of worship where we operate from that. It doesn't mean we're not responsible. It doesn't mean we don't care about things. It doesn't mean there's not worldly attachments that God has called us to, to serve in and be faithful in. It doesn't mean don't go to work. It doesn't mean ignore the obedience he's called you to walk in where you're called to be a light at. It doesn't mean that. It means my, our hearts are so in love with Jesus Christ in his presence, on our knees, undone in his throne room, where our joy and hope, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what the future holds. We're walking in a place of peace and joy and abundance. And every person that comes around us, we're not looking to get attention or love for them. We're looking to pour out because we're actively walking in the spirit, like Paul says. Now that you feel the spirit, now that you have the Holy Spirit, walk in it. We're in the throne room and our hearts are at a place of worship. I heard a quote one time that says, when your heart's in heaven, it doesn't matter where your body's at. And I'm just asking, Lord, can I quit worried about, can I quit worrying about what people think when I come into worship? Can I quit worrying or not whether I like the songs? Can I just be honest, guys? I'm just going to go in for a second. Before coming to First Baptist Church, I really worshiped. Or I, I sang songs and worshiped to songs that sounded a lot different than the songs that were here. I know like my grandparents would, would laugh at me for saying this, but hymns are not my favorite worship songs typically. <laughs> when I listen to worship in my room by myself, there's not a choir in the song. And what I'm trying to say is, Worship doesn't matter about my personal preference. Me getting in the throne room, me focusing on and responding to God has nothing to do with who's on stage or who's not on stage, with how many guitars and pianos and, 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 and if there's an orchestra or not or, or, or whatever. 
I'm, I'm so thankful that throughout the Bible, we see all these references to worship. We see David dancing and others broken and, and Solomon's t- uh, uh, praying over the temple as they built the temple. And we see this extreme. I'm glad there's no methodology. I'm glad God didn't give us this blueprint of here's what worship looks like. And I get it. We do three or four songs. We, we preach the word. Then we end with a song because it is a great structure that we pray as a church that opens up a space where we can get into the throne room and meet with God and out of an overflow celebrate him and, and, and our response is to, to sing because we're excited. But I'm going to be honest. So many Sundays, I'm not excited. That's not my response. I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it. I'm not broken at the altar. I'm not broken at my chair. I'm not in love with Jesus on my Monday. And I have to take, church, we have to take personal responsibility no matter who is preaching, no matter what the pastor says or does, no matter what worship song there is or isn't. And I'm just talking from my heart. This is my own convictions. That does not affect whether or not I am actively seeking Jesus in my own life. That does not affect whether I'm choosing, I'm going to obey you and surrender this sin or I'm going to reject you. But then I'm going to come to Sunday, then I'm going to come on Sunday or Wednesday night or or the Tuesday Bible study, and I'm going to try to point the fingers of why I'm not in the throne room. To worship is to focus on and engage with God. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, praise the Lord that I only need Jesus to worship. I don't need music. I don't need lip service. I love how he says, is it 1 Samuel uh, 15, 22, something like that, or 22? He says, 1 Samuel, he says, what what is it? Do you think I, I, I desire sacrifices over obedience? Do you think I, I desire the, the fat of rams over just listening to my voice? God doesn't want our music. God doesn't want our hearts. And this is revelationary because this past week has just eaten up everything I believe. God doesn't want that. I think I said hearts. God wants our hearts. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was speaking, then my flesh came in, the Holy Spirit came right back. You know, keep them humble, you know. So, <laughs> God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't care about church attendance. He doesn't care about how faithful you serve to make sure the program kept going. He wants to meet with us in the throne room and he's given us an invitation that's permanently accessible. And when he has my heart, I'm gonna sing with joy. I'm gonna sing on stage where everybody can hear my tone deafness. Like when he has my heart, that comes out of it. When he has my heart, I'm like, man, if that song helps them get into worship because they like that, man, I'd rather sing the hymns. Man, if that's going to bless them, because, Lord, I'm already, I'm already engaged. I want them to have that. Man, if, if that's going to help them, man, let them have that. All of a sudden, I begin to be others-focused. We begin to be others-focused because our heart is in a place of constant connection and engagement with Jesus Christ. And I think for so long, I know we've said this here and there, and there's a guest speaker who, who talked about small groups a while ago who did a great job. But so easily... In American culture, we can be so comfortable. I come to church on Sunday and Wednesday hoping for like a, a pick-me-up, hoping for a spiritual Red Bull or a spiritual coffee. Just kidding, don't drink energy drinks. They're terrible for you. Um, but I come to church. It, we might say we don't come to church to get filled up because that's not the spiritual answer. But a lot of times we come to the church in a rut looking to get filled up. And God being God, he can still do that. Praise the Lord that we can come here and he meets us as we are, broken and battered in a place of, of, just, of just holiness or, or, or a place of worship. Praise the Lord that God meets us where we are. We don't have to earn his presence. 
I don't have to have 10 quiet times in a row for, for 10 days in a row to all of a sudden be back at a place where, where I'm in the throne and loving him. Thank you that I don't have to earn blessings. You see, in the Old Testament, it's so peculiar to me or so cool to me that before Jesus Christ and the blood came, bless, uh, obedience led to blessings, disobedience led to curse. Thank you that Jesus but, but hang on that cursed tree, taking on our curse so that we could live in the blessing and we don't have to do anything for it. But in John, I believe it's chapter 14, verse 21, he talks about, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you obey me, also the Father and I will love you too and, we will, and I will reveal myself to you. As we walk in obedience, I, I can't sit here and worship God and then not obey him. If, that, if that's the case, I did not worship. I can't worship the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We can't. That's real, guys. And God's been convicting me because I can sing. I can lead students to sing. I can sing with Cynthia and we can pray every night before we go to bed. I can do that. And my heart's just as, is as black and sinful and selfish and frustrated as ever. If I am not, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if we're not, the Christ loves, compels us. We're compelled by the love of Christ. If I'm not leaving a space of worship compelled to go and be obedient, I argue that I never worshiped. If I'm not leaving worship excited to go get in the word and talk to God, I didn't really worship. Worship is a lifestyle. When we come on Sundays, when we meet, whatever day it is, when we meet as believers, that should be an overflow of, oh my gosh, look how I've seen God this week. Look how in John chapter 14, it says that as we're obedient, he reveals himself to us more and more. Look how God revealed himself to me as I was just surrendered watching him do what he does. We should show up to small groups on Sunday and just have, hey, what, what, what are the, I like asking students this, and I don't always like the responses because usually no one responds, but I like asking students this, hey, what God moments did you have that week? That's my way of just trying to ask, man, how did you see the Lord this week? Where was the spirit moving? And sometimes there's some really good answers. Other times you can tell like, eh, <laughs> But Wednesdays and Sundays, as believers, we have this living hope and joy inside of us. It should be an overflow of worship because worship is a heart posture between us and Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, we don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a worship leader. Now, God has blessed us by providing awesome pastors, worship leaders, staff, families, all the things, right? He has blessed us as encouragements, as catalysts, and to lead us deeper into these things. I don't want to downplay the awesomeness of kids getting up here and teaching us a song or of the older generation pouring into us, man, hymns that have age-old scripture and truth. Even if it's not the contemporary band some of us students or, or, or millennials grew up with, we can't discredit the fact that God is using this to teach us something. But if we're not careful... We're going to miss the throne room because we're arguing with people outside of the gate. I don't need to, to have the soldier at the gate or have my friend at the gate. I don't need them to agree with me to go in the throne room. I just need to quit looking at them and look this way, and I'll go in the throne room. We've got to quit looking to what the church isn't doing right. We've got to quit looking to what the different generations disagree on and just look at Jesus. And as I do that, it's crazy how I begin not to worry about the other stuff. As we're that's why I kept looking at worship, my Lord. What does it mean to have a heart of worship? Of course, uh, uh, probably one of the first verses that always pops in my mind is Romans 12.1. And Paul's speaking, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. When I read that paraphrase, worship is a lifestyle. I told the students this, and we've been talking about this the past three Wednesdays. So this is a word God has been refining and just, and just refining me with and just humbling me and, and breaking me with. But, man, we got to quit pretending. We've got to quit taking notes and, and, and worshiping and raising our hands and, and, and singing. Sometimes we don't even do that. But if, even if we do, we've got to quit doing that but not taking obedience seriously. We've got to quit doing that but never actually go into the throne room when it's just us. That's awesome if that's a catalyst, that's an encouragement with other believers. That's biblical. We're called to meet with other believers to be encouraged. And other things come out of that. That's of the Lord. I don't want to downplay us meeting together because that is awesome. That has been integral in my life and discipling me in so many ways. But that's to get us to the heart of what we believe. If someone said this when I was younger and they asked, hey, if you look back in your life and you can look to moments where you tangibly felt God's presence, what would you say? And I was like, church camp, I went to Centrifuge many times growing up, awesome youth group, um, Passion Conference when I was in college. Loved going to Passion. Um, I named some other things like that where I was just around these believers. And I remember the response was, man, that's awesome. But Ethan, I want to challenge you. If your most exciting moments with God are around other people, you're missing what worship really is. You're missing it. And, and I've been praying, guys, for students. We've come back because the COVID, you know, like all the whole COVID thing and, and then school starting back. And so as we came back, it feels like a whole new batch of students. There's like a year and a year and a half without consistent youth. A lot of people graduated during that time. And a lot of people have moved and come to different schools and a lot of new faces. It almost feels like, in a way, a few old faces at a new youth group. And I'm thankful for that. And as I was praying and even as this church, I'm like, Man, the Lord wants me to lead. They just need to know how to worship. They genuinely don't know what it means to worship. And that's why we're doing this series. And that's why we're, guys, I believe, put this on my heart. And so, church, I, I don't always know what it looks like. I'm not saying, obviously, I hope this isn't heard this way. We don't have to be charismatic. We don't have to change our music. We don't have to do this or do that. It just simply comes down to worship means I'm focusing on and responding to God. And I'm not going to get stuck in all the weeds. But if I really worship, I have to be honest with myself. It's a lifestyle. Like Isaiah, going back to Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in the presence of God, all he could do, I just picture him being on his face and just being undone and saying, I I'm not even worthy to speak. I'm a man of unclean lips surrounded by a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I'm undone. I imagine him being like, I'm on the brink of death. Like you were that good and I'm that not. <laughs> and you see that God qualified him. You see that what's crazy is the transformation that happened in Isaiah. Where he saw God for who God really was. 
And when we're in work, when we actually worship, when we see God for who he is, then we can clearly see us for who we are. The pride falls off, the shame falls off, the guilt falls off, the fear of man falls off, and all of a sudden I see the mirror clearly and I'm as, I'm as dark as mud and full of sin and not even worthy. But then just like you see the, the, the coal that touched his lips that came from the altar that the angel brought down on Isaiah in verse 7, that's what cleansed us. And so praise the Lord, I don't have to stay there because I now I'm in a place of thankfulness that I have seen as righteous. He considers his sons and daughters righteous because of Jesus clothing us with his blood and his robe of white. And so it's this cool moment where I get to see my flesh and my humanity and how desperately in need of a Savior I am. But then I don't stay there. It's still a place of reverence, but I don't stay there in worship because then I begin to be thankful of, but because of what Jesus did, that's not who I am. And that place brings a place of overwhelming. Sometimes I fall on my knees when I'm at home by myself. Sometimes I yell in excitement. Sometimes I beat my chest just being crazy. I'm just excited and it's just overflowing. And Cynthia laughs at me. Sometimes I just, I'm just paralyzed at my seat and I can't speak. But one thing that is consistent, that's the common denominator of every time I'm really in a place captivated by God's love and his worship and his holiness, the one thing every time is common, I don't want to leave. And I'm reminded that my whole life, everything I was created for comes to fruition when I'm just with him. That's worship. And then as I meet Jesus in his throne room, I believe more of the free will kind of comes on my response. You see how Isaiah went from broken and not even worthy to speak to the boldness of when the angel asked after he'd been cleansed, ooh, send me, use me, use me. Let that be a picture of when we worship, do we really see God for who he is? So then we can see us for who we really are and how much we need Jesus. And when I see him for who he is and then I'm allowed to see Ethan for who I am, I'm excited. I'm compelled by that love to get in his word, to be obedient, to make it more about somebody else than it is me, to go to that place at lunch that Cynthia wants that I don't like. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm compelled by that love. And so as Josh leads us, it's a simple, but it's a tough word. And I'm not sitting up here preaching to you guys, preaching down. I hope you know that. This is a conviction that I believe for the past two or three months, I've been singing, but I haven't been in the throne room. I've been telling students how to love Jesus, but I haven't been in love with Jesus. I love too many other things. And so I've had to ask and little by little, and like God has literally broken chains of comfort. In and of themselves, if I point at, they're not sin, but there's so many things that have caused me to sin because I'm just so comfortable, I'm lazy, and I don't even care about getting in the throne room. I have asked the Lord, God, take these other idols out of my heart. Make them as worthless. Let me, let me see them as a loss. And so I don't know where we're at. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing right now in everyone's heart. 
But I just want to allow us to not quench the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do what work He's trying to do in your heart to make us more like Jesus. If you need to just be on the altar and repent and say, man, I haven't worshiped in a long time. Or I haven't worshiped ever. I don't know. If you need to get on the altar and just repent, if you need to just just rejoice because now you're starting to see yourself for who you are and you're just excited and sing with an exuberance, I don't know where we're at, but I am praying for my heart, for Cynthia's heart, for the students and for our church. God, bring us back to the heart of worship. And something I did with students this past Wednesday, I want to just extend here. Man, if you need prayer, I know that can be scary. Like it was, it was hard for me to admit to Cynthia, like, man, I haven't actually worshiped in a lot of Sundays. I've tried, but my heart's just so in love with so many other things. I want to ask that if God's dealing with you, but you just feel stuck or scared or you, you feel like you need prayer, you don't need someone else to come to the throne room, but it's nice having people come to the throne room with us sometimes. I want to ask that you just like step out in the aisle and just ha- leave your hands like this. There's nothing mystical about this. This is just letting people know, hey, can you pray over me? And students, we talked about this. If you feel God burdening your heart to pray for someone, go pray for them. Don't worry about the seats. Come to the altar, pray for somebody. Just let the Spirit lead is all I'm asking. I don't care what it looks like. So I'm going to pray and Josh, you go ahead. Jesus, thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you we get to go to the throne, Father. God, I am so unworthy, and I have missed the mark so many times on what worship is, and I still need to understand it because I don't. But Jesus, I just ask that you return, that you give me a heart of worship, God, that you give our church a heart of worship where we're undone by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.